Uh, I had surgery this week, and wondering if I would be in a Percocet-induced haze, I, I, I gave a call to the bowpen, and lo and behold, Keith Hokeman was warming up in the bowpen. Uh, for many of you who don't know, Keith and Lori and their uh, uh, 17 children are with us as well. Um, uh, they are spending some time with us. Keith and Lori and the family are missionaries in India. Uh, Keith has been with Surge, uh, which is a missionary agency since 2010. And so they're still with Surge. They're here back in the States uh, taking a break and examining what's next uh, for them and the inquiring of the Lord. And so they have landed at Redeemer. And uh, it's been a pleasure and an honor to get to know them a little bit. And uh, so I called Keith and said, Keith, uh, do you believe in free speech? And he said, yes. I said, good, come give one. <laughs> and so lo and behold, uh, Keith is going to be preaching on Ephesians 5, 1 through 2. So thank you, Keith. Thank you, Carl. Good morning. Uh, you do need to know that I had nothing to do with the accident. It was not some type of a coup d'etat to get Carlos out of the pulpit and give me an opportunity at this. Um, and you also need to know that I, I did tell him that if he ever wants a break in the future, he just need to ask. He doesn't need to do this medical theatrics to get uh, a day off. Um, well, you need to know what he introduced me as, which is in 2010, my family and I uh, left for India as missionaries. And missions flavors my preaching because it is my passion in ministry. And yet I prepared the message today knowing that the majority of you are not itinerant Christian missionaries, having left your culture of origin in order to preach Christ to people that have never heard of him before. And so I do trust that the Lord has something to say to you today, um, as well as to me, as, as we study God's word together. I love a quote by Christopher Wright in his book, The Mission of God's People, and it should come up here. It says, the reality is, of course, as soon as you think seriously about it, that the mission field is everywhere including your own street, wherever there's ignorance or rejection of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I really like this quote because it brings the mission field right to the front doorstep of each one of us. It's not just in India, it's not just in Africa, but it's at your front doorstep. And in fact, um, I think I would add to this quote that I don't even need to leave my front door in order to reach a mission field. There's a mission field in my heart that needs to hear the gospel every single day. And there's a mission field in my wife and my children that need to have the gospel preached to them. We all need to be preachers of the gospel. Throughout the history of the church, the majority of Christians, the majority of Christian evangelists, have never been itinerant Christian missionaries that are roving around, but it's been ordinary people doing ordinary things, living ordinary lives, raising families, paying taxes, paying your bills, settling into communities and bringing Christ into those communities. People that have that calling are a fundamental part of the mission of God for His people. And it's not a second-rate calling to the calling that He's given to some to leave that and go to other parts of the world to spread His gospel. It's just a different calling, but both are a calling. And I'm going to share with you a little bit today about my calling and some of the things that we have seen in India for three reasons. And the first is that I think that you here in Virginia Beach ought to be able to praise God for the things that he's doing in parts of the world that many of you will never have an opportunity to visit. Especially when those things are different. And the way that he's working there might be different than what you see here in this church. 
And secondly, I'm hoping that you'll see some parallels between the stories that I tell and your own communities, your own workspaces, your own neighborhoods, and get ideas of how you might bring Christ into engaging better in these communities. And then thirdly, because I believe that God has called the whole church to reach the whole world. And what I mean by that is that Redeemer Presbyterian Church is just a local congregation here in Virginia Beach, but it's tied to the global church. And as such, it has, as a part of its foundational mission, a worldwide mission, a global vision. And that's part of this church, and that's part of your mission as members of this church. Because we are united as a family to the persecuted Christians in Afghanistan. We're united to the Christian orphans in Uganda. We're united to the Christian hungry in Ethiopia. And we're united to the girls being sold into sex slavery in India and other parts of the world. It's like a family to us. And, and having a missional message every once in a while is a little bit like attending a great big family reunion where you're meeting cousins and second aunts and great uncles that you never even knew existed. But you just met them for the first time and automatically you have this tie because you're related to them. And that's what we are. We're related. And so I'm hoping that this message will both help you to engage better in your local community, but also have a broader engagement uh, with the global community of Christ. And for some of you, maybe this will be the spark that ignites a fire inside of you. And two years from now, three years from now, you're packing your bags and you're leaving for a place where you have to learn a new language in order to communicate. Or you have to eat food that looks a little bit disgusting. You have to live in places that are less comfortable and maybe even give your life for the sake of preaching the gospel to people that otherwise would never hear about Christ. So let's pray as we begin. Heavenly Father, we ask for you to send your Spirit now upon us. Take these words that are spoken, simple words, but would you ignite them with your Spirit to ignite our hearts in love for you, in faith. Lord, we need you, and we ask for your presence. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the text today comes from Ephesians. And before I read that, I want to give a very brief backdrop to that. Ephesians, written by Paul, has six chapters. The first three chapters, Paul is describing our great salvation. And it has many wonderful verses in it, like Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by work so that no man can boast. But then as he leaves the first three chapters and moves into the last uh, three chapters, there's this transition that takes place, starting right at the beginning of chapter 4. And in chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And so you see this transition from what a great gospel we have, the great salvation that is ours, to what is the effect of this great salvation on our lives. And so then as you enter chapter 4 and chapter 5 and even part of chapter 6, you see these commands, a lot of commands in a row. And these commands are what it looks like to love in community. But it's lists, and you know what we do with lists. We take lists and we turn relationship into a religion. And we turn love into a checklist of do's and do nots and do's and do nots. And we turn them into measures for how we earn or how we condemn ourselves and people around you. And so right in the middle of these lists, right at the end of chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5, 
Paul inserts something. He inserts the gospel to remind us again, just like we need to be preaching the gospel to ourselves regularly. He, in the middle of this, wants to remind us what is the gospel so that you don't lose sight of that in the midst of trying to figure out how do we live in community and love well. And so that's where our text is this morning. So if you have your Bibles or your phones or your bulletins, or you can read it on the screen, or you can just listen. I'll read it for you. It says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. This passage begins with the word, therefore. Therefore. And many of you know, when you see the word therefore, you always go back to see what it's there for. And the thing that Paul is wanting to bring us to remembrance from chapter 4 is the very end. That's verse 32. It's the gospel. It's that in Christ, God has forgiven you. Therefore, as he enters now into verse 1, he says the motive that both empowers and drives us to be imitators of God is the love of God, as seen in the gospel. Because these laws, the law, is like a blanket around us that's trying to conform us into being something that we're not. But the gospel, as it comes into us, transforms us into being who we are. And that's what Paul wants to remind us, is this isn't me telling you, you need to do this, do this, do this, because you are this, and you need to be doing that. He's telling us, this is the gospel, get it into you, because you need to be who you are. I love a poem, a short poem that was written by John Bunyan hundreds of years ago. And it says, run, John, run, the law commands but gives us neither feet nor hands. Much better news the gospel brings. It bids us fly and gives us wings. All my kids are, their mouths are moving. They know this one. They've memorized it. I pray that as you go out of here today, the Holy Spirit would impress upon your hearts the power and the value of God's forgiveness for you. And that you would be able to live in the freedom of knowing that you're a dearly loved child of God. Because it's only in believing and loving the gospel that we get the wings to be able to soar into the world and follow this command that he says in verse 2. When he says, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now 1 John 4.19 says that we love because God first loved us us and it's only as we know the love of god not just with our minds but it's when we know the love of god in verse 3 of ephesians paul talks about knowing the depth and breadth and height and length of the love of god this is what it's talking about when we have experienced that love not just know it but experience it. know yes god loves you and if you don't know that love this morning if you haven't ever experienced that love cry out to god for it because paul says that the God of this age has blinded the eyes of unbelievers. But our God is in the process of unveiling eyes so that we can see and savor Christ. And that's when we experience this love. And so it's through experiencing and knowing the love of God that we then can become imitators of Christ. As this passage says, he gave up himself as a fragrant offering. How do we imitate Christ? as a fragrant offering. What does that mean, a fragrant offering? It's an amazing thing that when Christ bought our salvation, God the Father was up there watching. 
smelling. That's precious. He said, that's sacrificial love. That smells good. And what's even more amazing is the fragrance of Christ to God is still being spread in the world today and it's being spread through you. And it's being spread through me. That fragrance of Christ is the fragrance that comes from us. How do we do that? Paul tells us how we do, how we do that in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, verse 14 through 16. And it says, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, the fragrance from death to death. To one, the fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? And we'll get to that last question in a minute about who is sufficient to these things. But I want to look at verse 14 first, where it says, God spreads through us the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ. I'm not able to smell or even see, touch, or taste knowledge. And so in what way is the knowledge of Christ emanating from me as a fragrance? We have to look back at Ephesians 5, our text for today, to see that. Because it's when we know the love of God, when we have experienced the forgiveness of sin, when we recognize the sacrifice that He made for us, it so transforms us into a people who become imitators of God. And the sacrificial love then that we live out in our communities, that we live in our neighborhoods, in our families, in this church, that sacrificial love is an aroma that is pleasing to the Lord. And it goes up before Him. I love this idea of fragrance. If you've ever stepped out of your house on a crisp winter morning, and you smell somebody burning a fire in their fireplace. It's like, oh, that smells great. And you don't even know exactly where in the neighborhood it's coming from, but it's permeated the neighborhood, this fragrance that smells so well. If you've ever stepped out of your back porch on a summer evening and someone's barbecuing in the backyard somewhere in your neighborhood, everyone smells it. You know someone's eating good tonight, but you don't even know who it is yet, but it's permeated the neighborhood. I like that picture. Because I think that should be the fragrance of Christ in our neighborhoods from us. They may not even know yet where is this fragrance coming from, but they know there's a good smell. It's the fragrance of Christ. And then when you get around to opening your mouth, they're like, yes, that's the fragrance that I've been smelling. And I want to hear what you have to say. Because I've been recognizing and I already have been prepared for that. It's like my wife when she cooks my favorite Indian dinner. You know, for an hour before it's time to eat, the onions and the garlic and the ginger and the cardamom, they're simmering in the pan. And the whole house is filled with a smell. And my mouth is watering and my stomach is growling. And finally, when she gets around to saying, time for dinner, I'm ready. You don't have to call me twice. I'm there. Because I've been prepared for an hour by the smells in the house. I was telling Lori that illustration a little while back and she says, yeah, but you know what? If I put in a whole onion, I put in a whole ginger root, and I put in a whole cardamom pod and ginger, nothing happens. There's not much of a smell, but it's when I start to dice those things up, when I kind of squash them a little bit, and then I put them in the hot pan and they start to fry, that's when the smell fills the house. And you know, that's where some of you are today. That's definitely where our family has been for this past year. It's feeling like we're being squashed, feeling like we're being crushed. 
And it's in those times that if you can still see and savor Christ, it's in those times if Christ is still precious to you, that is an aroma that goes up to God and he says, yes, that smells good. And it's a aroma that goes out to the world and people say, that's what I want. I want a savior that isn't just for the good times, but I want a savior that's big enough even to cover the bad times. Something that's precious to me even when life is hard. And so Lori calls for dinner and I come. But you know, there are those that smell Indian food and the first thing they think of is I'm going to hit the back door and I'm going to hit Burger King tonight because they really don't like the smell of those spices. And there are people in our communities as well, this verse says, where to some the fragrance of life and to some the fragrance of death and the responsibility for which one that is does not lie with us. It lies with our Father. But there will be those who smell on you the fragrance of life and you give that invitation and when you give that invitation, they say, yes, I'm ready. And you invite them to dinner with their father. I have a friend in India. His name is Satender. Satender was a Hindu. He's, uh, he was about 23 years old, young man, when this story took place. His whole life, he had one goal, and that was to join the Indian Army. It's a little bit harder to get in the Indian Army than it is to get in the U.S. Army. And for many young men, particularly in the rural parts of India, it's a way to build up your status in the community. It's a way to have financial security. It's a way to get out of a rural India and move up in life. And so he wanted to join the Indian Army. 17 times he tried. 17 times. And every time he would take the exams and he would run the races and they would say, well, we wanted 15 people today. 500 people showed up or 1,000 people showed up for this audition. And you're a good candidate, but you just didn't make the cut. So back he would come to our village and he would steady and run and steady and run. Well, I'm in the clinic uh, seeing patients and he would be running up and down the street in front of the clinic. And one day we decide we're going to do a medical camp up in the higher Himalayas. We had to hike for three days getting up to these rural villages. And we had the, be- the, the medications packed in our backpacks, heavy backpacks. And we had one extra backpack. And so I see Satender out there. and I'm like, hey, let's ask Satender. Now he's not a Christian. He's a Hindu, but he's practicing for the army. Maybe he'll do it. So we go out there. Hey, We've got this great opportunity for you. We'll fill this backpack real heavy with meds and you can carry it up the mountain. It'd be such a great experience for you in preparation for the army. He's like, oh, sure, I'll do that. So he comes with us. And all the way there, uh, you know, we're talking to him. We're sharing Christ with him some. But for three days, he sees the hands and feet of Christ at work in this, these villages where we're giving medicine to people that otherwise would never be able to see a doctor. And he's seeing us love people. And on the way back, he's asking so many questions. Like, why in the world would you come from America to India to take care of a people that our government doesn't even take care of? And why would you particularly do this for people that you don't even know? How can you love people you don't even know? And we started to share with him the love of Christ, particularly the love of Christ for him and the forgiveness of his sins. And as we're coming into our house after that trip, he's praying to receive Jesus Christ. And that afternoon, he goes to his home, and every Hindu has a, in their home a little room. They call it their puja room, their worship room. And in that room, they have all their, their household idols. And he gathers up these idols, and he puts them in a bag, and he throws them into the river. The next morning, I come to the clinic, and he's sitting down there at the clinic. I say, hey, Satender, what's wrong? Couldn't keep up with us? Sore after a, you know, a weekend of trekking? Yeah, no. I was wondering, can I just sit here and tell people today what Jesus has done for me over the last three days? sure that'd be wonderful why don't you do that so he sits there all day and he sits there all day the next day 
and the next day. Every day for the next four months that the clinic is open, Satender is there telling people about Jesus and his experience with, with Jesus saving him. After about four months, he comes to me and he says, I don't want to join the Indian Army anymore. I said, what do you mean you don't want to join the Indian Army? He says, I can't imagine doing anything with my life that would bring more meaning than sharing with people every single day how they can be freed from the fear of worshiping their idols by throwing them away and turning to the true and living God. Because what he found out in those months of telling people about Christ is what Paul says in Philemon when he says, let me find it. Philemon, when he says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. So often we say, well, I'm not quite ready to share my faith yet. Wait till I get over here when I have a full understanding of everything I, good that I have in Christ. Then I'll start sharing my faith. And Paul says, that's not the way it works. It's in the sharing of your faith that you get over here where you have a full understanding of every good thing that you have in Christ. And that's what Satender experienced. And that's what prevents so many of us from actually going out and sharing our faith, is we think we have to have arrived before we start to talk, but it's in the journey of talking that we do finally arrive. And the reality that began when he gathered up those idols in his home and threw them away was starting to grow up in his heart, and he started to gather the idols of his heart. You know, those idols that we share with the Hindus. We don't have these little idols in our homes, but we do share the same idols of the heart, where he was looking at the army for security. He was looking at the army for his worth in the community. He was looking at the army for his future and his hope and his happiness. And he says, I don't need the army for those things anymore. I have Jesus. And you see the progression, the aroma of Christ on us, smelled by Satender, the invitation given, the invitation accepted, the aroma of Christ going out from Satender now to the clinic, and many invitations he has given in that clinic. And many people have decided to follow Christ because of Satender's uh, following Christ. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 through 21. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, the God being reconciled, that means being brought from outside of the fold of God into relationship with God, having been reunited, having our sins forgiven. But he doesn't stop there. He then takes us and makes us the instruments through which that reconciliation is going to start happening with other people. He gives us the ministry of reconciliation and makes us ambassadors of God as though God were making his appeal through us, it says. Romans ten fourteen says, How then can they call on the one whom they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? As much as the gospel is the, as much as we are the appeal to the gospel message in that the aroma of Christ spreads out from us. And as much as we are a, the appeal to the gospel message, we are also the bearers of the gospel message. We are both. 
There's a map that I want to show you, um, if we can get it up here. Um, this map is a map that really rocked my world when I was a teenager. It wasn't this particular one, but one very similar to it. Each of these little dots that you see, there are 16,000 dots on that map. Some of them are green, some are orange, some are red. The green dots, each one of these dots represents a people group. Some of these people groups, millions, hundreds of millions of people large. The green dots are people groups that have churches within them that can spread the gospel by people from within the people group to others within that people group. The red on the other side of the scale are unreached people groups. These are people groups that do not yet have the gospel. There are 6,000 people groups. These are ethno-linguistic distinct people groups where somebody has to cross a culture in order to bring Christ to those people groups. 6,000 yet in the world today that don't have Christ preached. And people are living and people are dying without having heard of Christ. And we just read in Romans that faith comes by hearing. You know that the majority of malnourished children in the world live in these red dot people groups. 80% of the world's poorest of the poor live in these red dot people groups. Why is that? It's because when the gospel comes in, it not only brings salvation to us, but it brings transformation to us. And as we are transformed, we transform our communities. I have another friend. His name is Sohan. Sohan was a house contractor, well-respected, middle-aged, 45 years old, um, fairly wealthy man in his village. And eight years ago, he got sick, really sick. He spent his family's fortune on doctors and priests and temples. Three years ago, he finally got to the point where the doctor said, there's nothing else we can do for you. By this point, he was flat out on his bed, not even able to get up to go to the bathroom. They said, you're going to die. There's nothing that we can do for you anymore. His wife comes into the clinic for something else. And guess who she meets? She meets the tender, the last guy. Two months into this four-month time that he was sitting there. He's been a Christian now two months. And he's telling people about his experience of meeting Christ. And she sits down waiting to see me. And he comes over to her and starts talking to her and says, can I pray for you in the name of Jesus? And she says, well, you can pray for me if you want. But the person that really needs prayer is my husband. But he can't get out of bed. And so would you be able to come to my house and pray for him? Now, their house was, was a ways away, and so they set a date, and he, this, this attender took another young man with him. They went to this house, Sohan's house, and they prayed for him. And Sohan was healed. Like, not gradually through medication being healed over months. He was healed like when you read in Luke, Jesus says, stand up and walk, healed. Within a, five days, Sohan, having now put his faith in Christ, is hiking up mountain paths to his village to his relatives and his friends villages and he'll stand there and he'll take these two young men that prayed for him with him and he'll say look at me i just walked to your house you know how i've been for the last eight years jesus did this for me these guys are going to tell you about jesus sit down and listen to him and over the next 10 weeks they started 12 house churches through the testimony of what god did sohan is a man that i'll be trying to see a patient and the door will be closed. And he will just come barging right through, not even knocking. And he'll sit down and say, Keith, I was just out in the village and there are so many sick people in the village. I don't know what to do. I'm not a doctor. I don't know how to treat them. Teach me something. And he'll sit down and watch me. Or he'll come barging and he'll say, I was just in the village. There's a family there. They don't even have enough food to eat a meal tonight. I gave them what I have for money. He's now an evangelist working in the clinic. He makes $100 a month. He says, I gave them all the money I had, but it's not enough for them. Is there any way we can take funds from the clinic and go buy some rations and give it to them so that they can have food for this week? 
See, the gospel, it healed. Christ healed him. The gospel changed him. And it transformed him into a man who was no longer looking for his identity and his wealth, in his job, in his surrounding. In fact, he's being persecuted in his village because of his decision and his family's decision to follow Christ. But in the midst of that, he is caring and loving his community well. And you see what the motivation is here. His motivation isn't duty. His motivation isn't guilt. We've all done ministry. We've all done things out of a guilt and a duty-driven mentality. And we often feel begrudging. We feel resentful. We feel condemning. We just kind of, we don't feel well when we do it. But the gospel doesn't bring guilt. But it brings us a motivation of faith. And it doesn't bring us duty, but it brings us a motivation of love. And it doesn't bring us fear, but it brings us hope. And it turns us into a people that Paul talks about when he's writing to Titus in Titus 2.13. It makes a people who are eager to do what's good. Not a people who are willing to do what's good, a people who are obliged to do what's good, but it makes us into people who are eager to do what's good. And you remember from the 2 Corinthians 2 passage we read a little bit ago that Paul leaves us with this question at the end of that passage. He says, who is sufficient for these things? He's just finished saying that we're going to be the aroma of Christ to God and to the world and to some, the smell of life, and to some, the aroma of death. And then he said, who's sufficient for these things? And my hunch is that's where many of us are today. We're stuck there saying, all oh, those stories, who's sufficient for that? I can't do that. You don't know my workspace. You don't know the people in my neighborhood. You don't know my family. I couldn't pray for someone. You know how many people we pray for in India that don't get healed like Sohan was healed? It's a lot. And sometimes it's embarrassing. But we serve a God that sometimes does heal, still today. And often doesn't. We serve a God that sometimes the aroma of Christ smells sweet and you give that invitation and they say yes. And even in India, we serve a God that sometimes you give that invitation and they say no way and they form a mob and they kill evangelists. They kill missionaries. It's not a safe place to work there either. And it's not a safe place to work here either. But this is the answer to who's sufficient to that. It's a few verses down in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5, where Paul says we're not sufficient. For some of you, that's a good thing. You need to know that. You're not sufficient. But Christ is sufficient. And Christ is the one that has given us this new ministry of reconciliation. It's the Spirit of Christ that works in you so that the fragrance of Christ goes to the world. It's the Spirit of Christ that works in people so that when they smell that fragrance, it's a pleasant aroma. It's the Spirit of Christ that works in you to give you the words to speak. And it's the Spirit of Christ that works in them to take those words and impart faith to them when they hear them so that they respond. It's the Spirit of Christ in you that gives you the strength to do that. And so it's Christ in you that makes you sufficient for these things. It's not you alone. But with the Spirit of Christ in you, you are sufficient for these things because Christ is sufficient for these things. And so because He's sufficient for these things, Paul can say with confidence what he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 when he says, and remember, this is speaking of us. He says, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. 
And then he includes this last verse, verse 21. He says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, so that we would remember the gospel again, that our sin is laid on Christ. His righteousness is laid on us. His spirit within us. This is what makes us competent to be ambassadors, to be ministers of this new covenant. So go out today and be ministers of this new covenant in your families and in your communities, in your workplaces and in your neighborhoods. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need your spirit to so empower us that we might be your ambassadors, the fragrance of Christ to God and to the world. And so would you make us less and make Christ more in us? Would you strengthen our wobbly knees that we might speak with boldness the truth that you have made us witnesses of in our own hearts and lives? And if there are those that have not yet become witnesses of this personally, would you so do a work of faith in their hearts this morning that the love of Christ might become an all-consuming experience, that they might know the height and breadth, the depth and length of the love of God today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's now the uh, point in our gathering.